Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. So our guest for today's episode is my friend, Mariah Smallbone. Mariah is an artist and the front woman of a band called Trala. She also created an amazing bi-monthly newspaper called Lead Lady to highlight women's stories of leadership. And that's exactly what we're talking about in today's episode. We're talking about what it means to be a strong female leader and how to embrace your strength as a woman. Mariah is going to share with us a few stories from her life, times when she felt discouraged as a leader and times when she felt empowered as a leader. We're talking about the perceptions that come with being a strong, opinionated woman, what male-female relationships look like within a marriage, especially when you're a woman with a strong personality, and how we can truly embrace the way God made us. Now, friends, if you're sitting here thinking, I'm not a leader, or if you've spent seasons of your life feeling like you're too much and should try to be less, or if you're scared what other people will think if you finally speak up, this episode is here to help you shift that mindset, embrace your purpose, and step more fully into the woman God created you to be. But before we dive in with Mariah, friend, if you've been trying to figure out how to follow God's plans for your life or what those plans even are, I have a resource that can help. It's my book, The Lipstick Gospel Devotional, and it's a 90-day step-by-step guide that will help you consistently connect with God, hearing from Him, trusting His plans, and feeling His presence in your everyday life. If this sounds like something that would be helpful for where you are right now, I would love to share it with you. You can pick up a copy at smaywilsonshop.com, and if you use promo code GIRLSNIGHT, it'll give you 15% off. Isn't that fun? That's a new promo code we have just for our amazing podcast community. All right, friends, with that said, let's jump into today's episode. Here is my conversation with Mariah. Okay, friends, so I'm so excited for what we have going on today. I'm sitting here with my friend, Mariah Smallbone, and I'm, friend, I'm just so happy to have you here at our girls' night this week. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so Mariah, for for women who haven't gotten to meet you yet, Mm. tell us who you are, what you do, and I'm excited about this. Mm. Give us a fun fact about you. I feel like I should start off with a fun fact. That'll, That'll kick us off in the right direction. Love it. So I am the same length and weight as my dog. What? (laughs) Okay. So length, like when she stretches out, we're the same length and weight. We like to the pound weigh the exact same amount. What kind of dog do you And I'm five foot nine. (laughs) I was going to say, you're not short. You and I I are the exact same height. I I love meeting tall friends. Yes. Um, What kind of dog do you have? She's a great Dane. Oh my gosh. Her name's Meriwether. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is, how did you figure that out? Spooning, lots of spooning. (laughs) But you know, also you go to the vet and like she, you're like, oh, like she just stopped at the same weight as me. And it's like, yeah, that's hilarious. It's pretty special. So when my husband is gone, like she sleeps in the bed with me and I feel like, like, there's no, like, it's not empty. It's, There's a she whole keeps other it warm. Person. She spoons with me. It's that's amazing. It's incredible. I feel like you can really dive deep into this 
on the internet um, of <laughs> like photos of people who look like their dogs. Oh man. It's, yes. Uh, so I feel like you guys aren't, I don't I, know, I, you have the I same body type much, as your yes, dog. We, we get that a lot. Like, and, and I have, cause she's like this blue, like silver coat. Yeah. It's this really unique, beautiful color. And I have a blue silver trench puffer coat that I wear in the winter. So when I walk with her, like we look like the same thing. It's very weird. That's amazing. Um, okay. So now that we know, uh, now that we need to see a photo of your dog, tell us oh, yes. who you are and what you do. Give us okay. Um, my name is Mariah Castillo Peters Smallbone. Yes, that is my legal name. I kept all of them. Very Hispanic of me. I am an artist. Uh, I am the front woman of a band called Trala. And we're an alternative pop group. And no, we do not do choreographed dancing. We play all our own instruments. We write our own songs. I feel like it's the first thing I have to say when I'm like, I'm in this like female, like alternative people are like, like Spice Girls. I'm like, no, no. like I love Spice Girls, but no. <laughs> um, you've been doing music for a long time now, but also you just launched a brand new newspaper called Lead Lady. Can you tell mm -hmm. us like, what is Lead Lady and how did you, how did this come about? Yeah. Well, in a nutshell, Lead Lady is a bi-monthly newspaper around the topic of females in leadership. And it's for women with bold and unapologetic hope. When I initially started it, it I mean, this has been kind of a desire in my heart for a couple years um, to kind of write around a particular topic. And in the future, my hope is that, you know, I'll get to a point where I feel comfortable enough to put out a book about it. But for now, I wanted to create something that felt old and classic, like a newspaper, you know, like something that was meant to be read, mm -hmm. not just looked at and scrolled through and double tapped, but something that was really meant to be consumed for the content that it had. And so that's why we made it in a newspaper format. And uh, what I love about this is that in all of my years of traveling and meeting so many women, it's very regular that I come across women in different fields that I'm like, why doesn't the whole world know who you are and know your story? Because if other people could hear about what you've gone through and what you've accomplished, they would be so inspired. And we live in a culture where it's mainly artists and models and creatives that are put on this platform, but there's not really much of a space for women who are paving a way in medicine or in law or in politics or in film or you know, there's just an education, like there are so many women accomplishing greater things than I could ever dream of accomplishing. And it's just so satisfying to have a space to put their stories out into the world. I, you know, you and I were talking about this last week and, and I remember you saying when you were growing up, you had examples of all kinds of women who were leading the way in all mm -hmm. kinds of fields. But when you moved to Nashville, just moving to a new part of the country, mm -hmm. you were finding that, that not every woman has those examples. Mm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, every, there's always exceptions to the rule and I don't want to make a blanket statement, but I think for the most part where I grew up was incredibly diverse. Um, and there were 
there was gender equality, there's ethnicity equality. And I mean, it was such an incredibly rich environment to grow up in. And I, you know, went to school with kids who were on welfare as well as kids who were rolling up to school in their like Mercedes. So it's like they were, I just experienced the full gamut of it. And I never questioned that my gender could be a limitation in any career path that I wanted to pursue. Um, so then moving out to Nashville when I was 17, I was just kind of dropped into this culture that was completely different from where I grew up, particularly Franklin, which is where I live now. But it's a, a, a civil war town, um, lots of history there. You know, the lines still feel pretty divided in certain places. Um, and with my husband being Australian, an immigrant, and just becoming a citizen in the past year, and me being Hispanic and coming from this LA culture, it's like we both have felt this incredible calling to be a bridge between two worlds that don't necessarily seem to mix, both male, female, you know, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever that that kind of gap is. And so I I think I just took this incredible blessing that I had growing up with, which was, oh, my principal is a female. My doctor is a female. This judge is a female, this policewoman, you know, it's like there was, there was a female represented in, in, in any field. So it was never a question for me. So then coming out here, I'm like, wait, where are all the, <laughs> where are all the female leaders in, in, in each kind of sector? And so I realized pretty quickly that there are still a lot of pockets in the world uh, not just in the States, but all over where that you don't see visual representation of equality. And I've always believed that a person cannot be what she cannot see. Mm -hmm. And so for me to be able to give a visual symbol story example of someone who's accomplished something in a unique field that might inspire someone else to say that they can do it too. Mm, I love that. <laughs> um, you know, we have this mental picture um, sometimes of what being a leader means and looks like, but I think it's a lot more nuanced than we sometimes allow it to be. And so before we even go any further into what it means to be a leader or what mm -hmm. it means to be a woman, mm -hmm. um, what it means to be a strong woman, like, can you kind of define leadership for us just the way that you've been seeing it as you've been thinking about it and looking for examples in so many different places? I would love to. <laughs> I would really love to, uh, because I think we all have very different definitions of that word. And yeah. I think getting on the same page as to what it means is a really great first step. I actually defined the word leadership in my first issue of Lead Lady. Uh, I actually had my sister interview me and wanted to share um, just from my personal experiences around leadership. And I defined it as this, the act of responsibly casting vision while encouraging others to discover their connection to and gifting within that mission. Yeah. I love that. I, I love how broad that is because I think that sometimes if we aren't in a place of positional leadership in whatever sphere we're in, in the world, we sometimes assume that we aren't leaders and that's mm -hmm. just not true. Mm -hmm. Like leadership looks like casting a vision. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
setting a setting a course and bringing people with you and empowering them to be a part of it. And, and it just, that looks like a lot of different things. You don't have to be in a position of leadership currently or have anyone raise you up into any certain position at all to be a leader. Yeah. I think in the word leading is serving and people are a lot less intimidated by the concept of serving than they are leading. But to me, I see them as the same thing. One of the reasons why I felt incredibly prompted as far as just timing to launch the newspaper when I did was because I had posted a my first poll on Instagram. It, and it was just a kind of a blanket question that I put out to everyone. And I had too many responses to even read through, but the question was, uh, what are the pros and cons of working with women? And I can talk about the the pros later, but the cons are what really irritated me enough to put me into motion. Um, I think being irritated every once in a while is a really good thing. And a lot of the responses were, um, you know, working with women equals drama or I dislike the drama, cattiness, and more drama. The con is drama. Like these are literally quotes from people that I was polling for for this Instagram question. And I've just come across a lot of women who have had female bosses uh, or have worked with other women in news or, you know, grocery store, wherever. And they just had like very dramatic experiences. And so that made me want to dive into this concept of leadership because I realized there's not really many resources for women to ask the question of what does it mean to lead other women? Because I think leading other women looks very differently than leading men at times. And it's pretty nuanced, but uh, I was very intrigued to explore that conversation. I I love that you mentioned that because that irritation, I think, is a lot of what sparked me into motion too. Mm -hmm. That word drama even, like, is an irritant to me in itself. Like I hate the word in, for me, I think it's, it's propelled me into wanting to help women be good peers for each other and be good friends to each other. Because I've been in a lot of situations and circumstances in life where there has been a lot of that cattiness and a lot of Mm -hmm. that, you know, talking about people behind their back or there's not enough room at the table. So you're kind of always edging each other out. And, you know, in the past 10 years or so, I feel like I've really gotten to experience the fact that it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you're tackling kind of one side of this, like how do we lead each other and how do we create spaces where we can work together? And because when women work together, I mean, there's just absolutely no limit to what we can accomplish. Um, And so I love that you're, that the thing that irritated you the most was there's a leadership problem here. There's not enough. We're not talking about what it looks like to lead women enough or to be leaders as women. For me, I'm like, it doesn't have to be this way. (laughs) Our, Our team does not have to feel like this. We don't, there does not have to be women and drama don't have to be synonymous. Yeah. Um, well, some of the greatest work in our world's history has been accomplished by women who have rallied together. And you kind of touched on this even now, but I've always felt like when a group of women get together, they're the impossible can be accomplished. But when a group of men rally around a group of women and lift them up, nothing can be stopped. I love, I love just the combination of 
each of us working together and supporting each other's strengths. It's so cool. Yeah, it's so cool. I'm so glad that we're talking about what this can be because I think in a lot of ways, we know this. When we're thinking about being leaders as women and being strong women, there are so many things that come against us. Mm. And I think a, a large part of it has to do with like perception and our own fears and also some societal things. I mean, there's just a lot that happens. And so instead of trying to kind of diagnose all of that, I know that you've been personally in a really reflective season lately. You've mm. been peeling off some shame mm-hmm. and stepping more fully into who God created you to be as a strong woman. Can you tell us what's been happening? Yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, You know, I always laugh and giggle when I am asked, you know, a question about something that I'm literally in the midst of because I don't have all the answers. I don't have it figured out yet, but I'm very much in process of, you know, a journey of self-discovery. I think to know thyself is to know God and to know God is to know thyself. Like, I think those, those two go hand in hand. And so the more I learn about how I was uniquely created and the more I love that and embrace that, the more whole I feel. Uh, and the more I think clearly I, I see what this kind of God in me concept looks like. So I, this past year, you know, started diving into a personality test and a book about Enneagram and things that I had always pushed aside for years because Nashville is such a hub for these conversations, right? Like, and I typically, if like a conversation is being happened, is happening at large, I tend to like push against it for no reason other than to just not go with the flow. Uh, and, uh, so people, you know, for years had been asking me like, what's your Enneagram number? Like, tell me. And I'm like, don't know, don't care. Don't ask. It's just so rude. Um, but, uh, my manager whom we both share as a wonderful friend, um, Jason Brazel, shout out. He gave me a book to read while I went to Australia for six weeks. And I think he knew that the only way I was going to read this book is if I was sitting on a beach for six weeks with nothing else to do. Uh, So, so my husband and I kind of dove into that and it really just helped me understand that the things in me that I had felt tension about were actually because my circumstances were not conducive to this particular trait. And I had to learn how to see that my strength and my vision casting and my ability to rally a team and my sense of injustice, you know, my passion, the anger that sometimes fuels me, all of these things, they're very unique tools that God has given me in order to accomplish something that, you know, can, can help other people or can help kind of, you know, maybe just create a conversation that hasn't been happening before. And so for years, like I, I was being told, uh, in the work environment that I was in, like, Hey, the best way for you to have a successful career in this space is to be agreeable, to go with the flow, be sweet. Don't, kick up a fuss, don't ask questions, just be grateful and, you know, be flexible and 
submit and all of these things. And so, you know, there is a season and there, there are times where that is so important to be flexible, to submit, to, you know, yield your opinions. And and I've become more and more sensitive to when that is appropriate, but to be that all the time, (laughs) I don't know that we can draw that straight of a line ever in life and say that that's what we have to be at all, at all points. And so, just learning in this past year to embrace the parts of me that caused a lot of disruption in years past. I before thought that my tenacity was something that I needed to hide or that my passion was something that needed to be suppressed in order to make other people happy. But I think as long as we, one, don't understand our unique gifting and two, are told that our unique gifting is wrong, then we're just going to live stressed out lives. <laughs> like it's not, it's not okay to live that way. So it's, I'm very much still in process. If someone's listening who feels like a part of the way that they were created doesn't line up with who people want them to be, Mm. what would you say to them? Mm. Like Mm. anger, for example, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Specifically to anger, I do think that feelings are meant to be felt. And the moment they're experienced and embraced, like they pass through. And oftentimes we don't want to feel them or experience them. So they end up just staying inside and bottling up and they come out in other ways. So allowing ourselves, like if I feel nervous, I'm just going to let myself feel nervous. Like if I feel um, anxious, like, okay, I'm anxious. Like I'm accepting that. Now let me pass through that and like move on to the next thing. So I think that's really important. And when it comes to being ourselves in the midst of a culture or a circumstance or a workplace or a school where that is not fitting the mold of the body, the whole, you know, you just have to know that like, you're going to come up against some awkward moments. You're going to come up against people saying, oh, that's weird or you're weird or that doesn't make sense. But I don't know. I think that the greatest gift that we can give the world is a healthy and whole self. And if we can be healthy, so if we can know ourselves, if we can practice experiencing emotions and moving on to the next, if we can love ourselves and embrace ourselves, that's being healthy and being whole is, you know, letting go of bitterness, letting go of unforgiveness you know, working through whatever kind of trauma or tripwires we have in our lives and processing and taking the time to work through those things, like being healthy and whole, that's, that's the greatest gift you can give to the world. Um, you can do all of this philanthropic work, but if you're a complete, you know, disaster of a person and you don't love yourself, what work are you really doing? I mean, God will use anything, but I think he smiles on us when we take the time to know ourselves and love ourselves. So you had an experience at a gig a while back that, that I think this story is going to stick with me for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I really want you to, to tell it. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that that story came up in conversations yeah. past because it's, you know, it's, I never want to come across as telling a story and being like, salty about it 
because I think that when we experience difficult things, uh, particularly when we're being mistreated, we can either look back at it and like laugh at it, or we can look back at it and learn from it. I guess I'll tell two stories. The first one I look back at and I actually laugh at. Um, and the second one I've learned a lot from, and it's kind of propelled me to, to do a lot of the work that I do now. It was a one-off being like a single show, <laughs> an isolated show. It was not part of tour, but I did a show a few years back. And, you know, when you go in and you play a show, you send a writer ahead of time. So there's a production writer, there's, you know, a craft writer, there's basically an outline of what needs to be set up before you arrive and you sign a contract and it's all set up. And it just allows for the flow of the day to go really seamlessly and flawlessly. If things are set up when you get there, then you just tweak and then you're, you're good to go. Um, and the way that we do our show, and even before Trala, when I was doing solo shows, it was very, we have a lot of movements, you know, everything has to be placed the way that we rehearse it or else we'll end up tripping over something. So I show up at this venue and things are sort of set up sort of the way that we had them in our writer, but not exactly. And I went to the, the stage manager, uh, this older gentleman, and I was just like, hey, can we move this platform, you know, a foot to the left of this platform, a couple feet forward in this platform? Like, I'm just kind of giving him some tweaks. And his immediate response, which it was so quick, I didn't have time to react, but he was like, oh, is this how you talk to your husband at home? Is this how you have him move furniture? A foot to the left, a foot to the right? Is this how you have him move things around your house? Is, this, is that, was that why you're telling me to do this? And it was, I, my band looked at me and they were just kind of like, oh, she is not okay. So I was like, <laughs> all right, okay. I, you know, this is a, a, a girl's night event. I do not need to let the spice come out on this man. For <laughs> so I literally just went to my green room and just like, I don't even think I cried. I was so angry. It was just like, I just sat there and let my blood kind of stop boiling and, and, uh, carried on. And I look back on that and I'm like, okay, there are going to be situations where that kind of stuff happens. You know, like my husband is an artist as well. And, you know, when we first got married, he was living in his parents' basement and had $52 in his savings account. Like <laughs> he was not as successful as he is now. And even still, he would go to venues and he would do the same thing, ask production managers or stage managers, hey, can you move this like this? Can you move that that way? Even lending in a hand, which I do as well, and helping move things around. And it would be a hot day in hell because I believe that hell is actually a cold place. <laughs> note, side note. Um, it would be a hot day in hell if anyone ever responded to him in the same way. Would a, would a, would a stage manager ever be like, oh, Joel, is this what, how you talk to your wife at the house? Like, cook me this, cook me that. No, like that would never happen. So I look back at that and I, I, there are certain things that I truly believe that we have to learn how to shrug off and laugh at and just move on and just say, you know what? I am not going to take this man's insecurity on my load. You know, he, you don't know what's going on in his home and his life. Like you can't judge. You just got to move on. So I laugh at that now, but there was another situation that happened out on the road and, and it's very specific to, you know, this very male dominated environment, right? And I was playing a show as part of a tour. It was a tour. And uh, I had a friend. I actually talked about this in my first issue of Lead Lady because it was part of what kind of 
threw me into this idea of what is leadership. But um, I finished playing a show. I had had my friend who was a local videographer in Chicago, like come up and take video of me on stage. And as soon as I stepped off stage, the production manager for the tour pulls me into the side of this room and just starts screaming in my face and calling me names and saying, you know, all of these terrible things to me um, because I didn't ask his permission um, to have a videographer on stage. Um, something that I had no idea. I mean, I'd been touring for years at that point. And I don't think I'd ever run into that before. So that came as a shock to me. But instead of just, you know, kind of calmly communicating that, it was this huge explosion. I was brought into another room with another tour manager and it was, it was explosive. Um, I actually ended up crying (laughs) like, and I, and, and I held it together while this man was like screaming at me. But when he stepped away, I, I had actually communicated to someone else on the team. Like I can't be communicated to like that, but that was pretty much all that I said. I ended up going into a bathroom, crying my eyes out, getting all my tears out and then going to my band whom at the time, again, because it was my solo years, these are my employees. And so I didn't want them to feel like I was struggling as their leader. So I just pretended that nothing had happened and I swallowed everything down and I I suppressed. And that kind of suppression of whenever something difficult had happened because I wasn't leaning on anybody around me and I was just carrying it all on my own. That made me sick. Like it literally manifested itself physically for me. And I started having um, IBS symptoms and all sorts of things kind of pop up from, from stress. And uh, I remember that moment kind of realizing, okay, On one hand, there's this man who's supposed to be leading this tour and leading me in a lot of ways, practicing this disgusting form of leadership. And I know that's not right. But then on the other hand, you have me doing the opposite. Like if he's expressing his anger in an unhealthy way, I'm suppressing my anger in an unhealthy way. And that's just as damaging. So I had to kind of learn and I'm still learning what does it mean to lead especially when you're confronted with an issue you know how do you respond to that I I'm like getting physically angry over here (laughs) and that's okay you can be angry I can feel angry um I don't know if I'm going to be able to fully explain this but this was like a really pivotal moment in my life Mm. there have been I think that the Cons or the idea of like how someone speaks to me mm-hmm. has always been something that it's just always been something I've thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been seasons of life, especially in friendship. Like I feel like mm-hmm. most of my lessons when it comes to, you know, how someone's speaking to me have, have happened more in like friendship context. But there mm-hmm. have been times where I've been spoken to by people who are supposed to be my friends mm-hmm. in, in ways that are totally unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was this season of life where um, I had this group of girlfriends and that was sort of the way that everyone would talk to each other. It was like kind of a, everyone just sort of made fun of everyone kind of thing, which is I mean, fun a little bit sometimes, but like it just was excessive. And I remember, I will never forget 
finally watching one of my friends stand up for herself, like, like to everybody else. And, mm-hmm. and what happened was, I, I don't remember what someone said to her. Someone said something to her and she turns around and without skipping a beat, she says, don't speak to me that way. And that immediate reaction just stuck with me. Like, don't talk to me that way. Don't speak to me that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, that's something as I've been learning how to speak up for myself and as I've been learning what my brand of strength looks like, instead of, you know, I think that when we're thinking about moments when we may be confronted, we think a lot about the other person or we think a lot about like what we would say in response. I think that hearing my, hearing my friends say those words really helped me learn kind of the way that I want to react mm-hmm. because it's not, we have no idea what's going to be coming at us in any moment of life from people we love, people we don't know, people who are in a bad spot. We don't get to decide what other people say necessarily, but we get to decide how we, like where our limit is, where our mm-hmm. boundary is. Like, this mm-hmm. is how you are allowed to talk to me. And this is not how you are allowed to speak to me. Praise hand in uh, the air. <laughs> and I think that that's, that's been mm-hmm. a really big thing for me. And I mean, that's in you know, every single one of my relationships, I have said that so many times, especially as I'm like standing up taller in this, of like, you cannot speak to me that way. You cannot treat me that way. You can do whatever you want in your own life on your own time. And you know, the guy, especially, I mean, both, all those guys mm. probably have really serious things going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. You don't treat people that For way. Sure. If you don't, you live like you live your life the way you want to, but you have now crossed over into my life and you are not allowed to speak to me that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's something about the preparation. Like I tend to freeze in moments like that. And I think we all do. Like, what do you say in response? But I think that that, that response has given me an answer that like I have thought in advance about how I'm, how I allow people to speak to me mm-hmm. and what is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And in a moment I feel like that has become my immediate response is you cannot talk to me that way. Yeah. Like do not speak to me that way. Oh, I love that. I love, 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 love hearing you say that. Even just for like the short while that I've known you, like picturing you standing up for yourself in that way just makes me want to like, oh, my armpits are sweating. It's so good. <laughs> so good. This, this, is the, this is the funny thing about that particular concept of standing up for yourself because in, in neither of those situations did I truly stand up for myself. And it takes years, I think, to break the ice in that moment where you do freeze. Like, yep. and, and it takes being in the moment where you are being suppressed, mistreated, discriminated against. It takes you being in that situation time and time and time again until you finally get to the point where you're like, actually, I can't take this anymore. And also, it also takes, I think, a very divine sense of self. You know, like if you're, if your inner monologue is constantly going, Mariah, you're an idiot. Like you failed. You're so small. You're so dumb. You're so insignificant. Like wh- who do you think you are? Like if that's my inner monologue, I'm just going to let people affirm what I'm already saying to myself. Yep. But you know, and this monologue has been shifting for me and changing for me over the years. If I'm able to constantly in my subconscious have this voice going, Mariah, you are uniquely and beautifully made. Like your strength is something to be cherished and admired and lifted up and like love yourself and celebrate yourself. And like, God loves you. He adores you. Like he smiles over you. Like if this is what I'm telling myself and what other people are telling me does not align with that, immediately this trigger goes off and it's like, okay, boundary. Like that is that I think sometimes people kind of misuse this concept of boundaries, particularly in relationships. Like 
you know, sorry, I don't have time to talk about this problem with you because this is a boundary and I'm practicing self-care. It's like, um, no, get in the trenches and have a conversation. Like (laughs) we don't need to be using that word in that way. But I think, you know, this is something that I was talking to my sister about because she's a very strong, strong female yet in her former work environment, she had this like crazy boss who would, and it was a female who would bring her into her work, into her office and just like scream at her, yell at her. And this would happen time and time again. And I would try and tell her like, Bianca, like you have to stand up for yourself, but you're so right. Like in that moment you freeze, it's so hard to do, but once you do it, you will never forget the feeling of empowerment from that moment. And you will carry that with you. Like the first time that I ever stood up for myself in that way was on a phone call. Uh, and it was, uh, with some, a, a couple actually. And I felt like the husband was really cornering me and pressuring me and pushing me to do something that I didn't want to do. And I had clearly communicated as to my reasons why. And I gave them a way out. I said, if you change X, Y, and Z, I will do what you're asking me to do. And he started kind of blackmailing me in a way. And so I, I, in the middle of his sentence, you know, like he was going on a roll, a heated roll. And I said, Hey, I'm just going to cut you off right there and tell you that I'm feeling incredibly cornered and pressured. And I feel like you're trying to intimidate me into getting the result that you want. And I'm here to tell you that that's not going to happen. And I'm standing my ground on this and I'm going to ask you to back up. And like, it was was so funny was I pressed mute on my phone and you and like the I didn't even hear what their response was all I knew is that I was like jumping up and down I was like you did it Mariah like you told him you stood up for yourself I was so elated and so like empowered and and then when I did get back on the phone with them the response was like oh I'm so sorry like I, I didn't know that I was you know making you feel that way. And all of a sudden it was this like recognition that when you respect yourself enough to draw a line, other people have no choice, but to respect you as well, you know, or to walk away. Yep. And end the phone call. It's like, I think that's that's the thing (laughs) is like that, that escape hatch. I think that I've been noticing Mm -hmm. that in, in my life Mm -hmm. a lot more, like what's the worst that can happen here? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I'm like, Oh no, what if this person doesn't, what if this opportunity falls through or what Mm -hmm. if this person doesn't like me anymore? Mm -hmm. I've gotten to ask, like walk down that road enough times to think, if this person decides that they don't like me anymore, Mm -hmm. that is okay. Mm -hmm. That is okay. I, I, and I feel like a lot of that being sure enough to know that you are going to be okay if this whole thing falls apart. So, so you're allowed to stand your ground. I think a lot of that really does come from knowing who you are and, and loving who you are and being okay in your own skin and knowing your own identity. And I love that you said that because I think we really do set the baseline for how other people are allowed to treat us. A Mm. lot of times the way that we treat ourselves and like, I love getting to hear, I don't love this, but I, it's nice to hear that you've gone through this in your own life because my gosh, this has been such a journey in mine too, Mm, mm. that, you know, when we're talking to ourselves, it was a lot of times we talk to ourselves in a way that we would never tolerate from someone else. Mm -hmm. But if we're speaking to ourselves that way, then someone else like chiming in, it just doesn't raise an alarm for us. Whereas if we are kind and respectful to ourselves, Mm -hmm. then when someone doesn't echo that, we can immediately sense that something is wrong and we feel strong enough and like 
I feel like the mental picture I have is our feet just firmly planted on the ground. Mm -hmm. Our feet are firmly planted enough that we get to say, if you walk away right now, I'm okay. And if you are going to treat me that way, your options are to either change or walk away because that is a boundary. You are not allowed to speak to me that way. Yeah. No, that's huge. And I think even going deeper, you know, because I think this conversation is, you know, it's really, it's a mainstream conversation. It's one that's being, it's one that's being had really about self-respect and self-love, but to take it a step deeper, you know, and I, for whoever is listening, you know, some people might have a certain spiritual understanding and others might not really resonate with the, the concept of God or spirituality. But, um, what I think is so beautiful about, you know, what, what we learn about being image bearers of the Imago Dei, like being hosts of, of the spirit of God, like as a woman, as a man, like we are, we are carrying the image of God within us, around us, in front of us, behind us, like surrounding us. We are, we are literally hosts in that way. And so if we recognize the divinity in ourselves and around ourselves, it's more than just, oh, I'm worth it. You know, it's more than that. It's, right. it's, I have a, a responsibility. I have a calling to love myself and to care for myself and to honor myself the way that God sees me and created me to be because that imprint is on me, you yep. know? So I love that we can take it a step deeper. Mm, I love that. And it makes it so much easier for our, our feet are so much more planted that way because they're not planted on us being good enough. They're planted on the fact that, I don't know, on some days we're like, okay, on some days we're pretty good. Most days we're just like barely getting by, but that's why that's who Jesus is. Mm. Like that's who Jesus is for us is he is our enough Mm. and he makes us enough. Mm. And, and so we get to firmly plant our feet on that, not on our own enoughness. Mm, um, mm-hmm. and, and when we do that, our own flaws, our own shortcomings don't detract from our identity because our identity was never about us performing well or being good enough in our own right. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me, and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing, that is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. 
But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash friendship. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with Viking Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. You know, so we've been talking about this idea of leadership and being a strong woman. And I think that one of the things that gets a little tricky is that, especially in the church, there are all these ideas of what the gender roles should be. There, you know, is a lot of like submission talk thrown around that men are supposed to be the leaders and women are supposed to be submissive. And, and I love it's, I don't love this. It's so, perfectly sets us up for this, that that man said that. Do you speak to your husband this way? 
And I think that that's just a lot of what holds us back sometimes. Like we don't want to be too strong as women. And a lot of that is because of who we want to be within a marriage and we don't want to be too much and all those things. And so Maria, I would love to hear like, what does what does this look like for you guys in your marriage? Like, how do you show up as your full self and how do you help your husband do the same? Okay. Um, this was, this particular topic is one that I, I feel like it's important for me to kind of bounce ideas off my husband with, you know, just, especially if I'm going to be talking about marriage, like that's like the both of us. And so I've asked him before, I'm just like, Hey, are you, did you expect to like marry someone like me? Or like, were you looking for someone like me? Or have you had to like adapt and change to the person that I am? You know, because his mom is my mother-in-law, mother in love, because I truly love that woman. You know, she's, had seven children. She, you know, all she's ever wanted was to be a mom. And, um, she's an incredibly wise woman and very strong. And I'd like to think that, you know, her and I really are on the same page about a lot of things. And I'd like to think that I'm like her in some ways. I'd hope that I'm like her in some ways. (laughs) Um, but you know, I'm like, Joel, if you grew up with that as your, kind of example of like a woman it's like uh, I we've been married for six years and I'm still not really into the idea of kids quite yet <laughs> like I'm so focused on like what I want to do with work like I'm I'm studying organizational leadership at Lipscomb University I'm getting my degree like I'm wanting to write a book like I'm doing all these things that I'm so excited about and passionate about and I'm very strong-willed and like if you bring something up and I don't agree like I am sure going to tell you and I'm going to give you an entire <laughs> list of reasons why I'm going to have a thesis prepared for you like it's like I am so intense at times. And and so I asked him, I've asked him before, like, did you like prepare for that? Did you want that? You know? And his response is pretty, pretty beautiful. He, he said that my strength is what drew him to me. And that, I, and even in him saying that, I, I realized like, a strong man, like a man who's truly strong in the truest sense of the word is going to be drawn to strength. He's not going to be intimidated by it or afraid of it. And so that's kind of one thing, but I think in this whole idea of the roles between a man and a woman in marriage and work in the home, I think we all really love to draw straight lines like just period. Like, you know, some people want to say, well, a wife, you know, a wife's role is to do X, Y, and Z and a man's role is to do this. And, you know, both in the church and outside of the church, like we have these very strict expectations and boundaries and lines. And I just feel like love is so much more fluid than that. You know, trust is so much more open than that. And you start drawing lines in the sand out of fear you know, when you don't trust the other person to truly love you, respect you, care for you, that's when you start like, well, you have to do this and I only do that, you know? And we've had that conversation a lot about even like house chores and stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, that, that, that comes up often and it's just like, well, 
you know, in this scenario, what would it look like for you to do the dishes in this scenario? What it look like for me to do it? Like, when does it make sense? Like, it's not always going to be the same. And so that's just on a super practical level. But I think we try to, in our partnership with one another, we try to adhere to like a couple of constants because yes, we're constantly flexing and moving and shifting and, you know, adjusting our schedules because our schedules are crazy. Like we travel a lot, we're home some days, not home a lot. And so the constants that I think have held us in good stead have been one, serving each other. You know, that whole concept of outdoing one another in love. Like we really try to do that Um, because when you're focused on the other person and focused on serving the other person's needs in front of your own, like there's just something really magical that happens. Uh, and it's, it's hard to do initially, but I think the, the kind of aftermath of that is beautiful. Secondly, we like to partner with one another in each other's passions And I think partnering looks differently than supporting, you know, for the first few years of our marriage, I felt like we were supporting each other. It was like me being a cheerleader on the sidelines, like, yeah, honey, go get it. And him like being, you know, a fan in the crowd, like, yeah, I love you, you know, like support, which in some ways is really great, but long-term that's not partnership. Partnership is being out on the field with that person, being in the game with them, being on the same team, fighting that same battle. And we didn't realize that until the end of 2017, we had gone out to sushi and it was sort of our last dinner back, you know, here in the States before going to Australia for a month. We try to do that at the top of every year. And we were having this dinner and he was like, oh, I just feel like we just, this was the best year of our marriage. Like we had so much time together and I just, I loved it. I'm so proud of us. And my response was, I mean, call it like it is. This is what he signed up for. <laughs> I was like, I have never felt more disconnected from you in all of our time together. Like I, I don't even like, what, who are you? <laughs> like, so separated. And the reason why I was feeling that tension is because, yeah, we were supporting each other. Like I'm going to his shows. He's taking a red eye to my show. Like we're like cheering each other on, but we had zero investment in what the other person was doing. And so we started making changes in our relationship to go from a supporting dynamic to a partnership. And you know, for me, that just looks like looking for ways to help, be it like styling the band or helping write songs for a film they're working on or, you know, whatever that, I mean, I literally just ordered cookies for their, one of their parties for a single going number one, (laughs) like just little things. And the same for, for him, like him coming to meetings or, you know, helping, you know, with big picture conversations with Trala, um, you know, setting up co-writes, like we're, we're looking to partner so that we don't get to the end of our life and be like, I mean, we checked all the boxes. Like I flew to you, you flew to me, but like, who are you really? You know? So partnership is huge. And then the third one, I think for us is to fight expectations and that's expectations physically, sexually, you know, responsibilities around the house, you know, the I think expectations are a killer of love and joy, you know, like, because if you constantly have this, like, 
benchmark of how you're expecting the other person to perform, they're going to miss it more often than not. And you're just living a life of disappointment at that point. So, you know, we try to communicate hopes to each other, but communicating hopes is much more open-handed than holding expectations, I think. I resonate with so much of what you just said. I think I have conversations with women a lot who are, you know, in the they're in a season of life where they're single and they're dating and they're trying to figure out who they are. And then also, you know, keeping an eye out for the person they might be able to share their lives with. And Mm. I've heard from more women than I wish I I did who are feeling like they need to, like they might be too much and that they might be like professionally, they might have too much going on. They've intimidated some guys before they're feeling like they need to just be different in order to Mm. be a wife. And I love getting to hear about how your marriage operates and the things that attracted Joel to you and the ways that you guys partner together, because that's so true of Carl and I also. Mm. And I think that the idea of partnership is such a good one because when I drew the straight line, something I'm really good at ended up on your side. But so I guess you have to do it though, because I don't know, it's on your side of the line. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, things in different seasons. There are times when I'm way busier at work than Carl is and he makes sure we are fed for as long as it takes. Mm-hmm. And then there are times when I'm, or <laughs> when he's love. busier, yes, when I, you know, make sure like I, this is, this is the first time I've ever done this, but I definitely packed his lunch this morning. That I have never done it ever. Thing we have been married for almost five world. years and he could not stop laughing. He just was like, this is so Oh cute. my gosh, I'm inspired. I get, well, I'm going to go buy Joel like a Toy Story lunch pail. Yes, seriously. I wrote him a note. I put it in there, but oh, literally stop. it's been almost five years and I've never done that before. But it, I think that it's just, we're good at different things and we yes. have different things to bring to the table. And there have been some times in our marriage, especially at first where I responded to something, you know, we had a decision to make and I showed up in that conversation the way that I thought like a good Christian wife was supposed to, meaning I didn't say what I thought and I Ah! got quiet and small. And I remember Carl looking at me going, what are you doing? Hmm. I'm like, submitting. He's like, I want to know what you think about this. Are you kidding? And so I think that, I, I, I think that it's, I don't know. It takes a strong man, I think, to, to, you know, ask his wife to step up to the plate and communicate, you know, an opinion, an idea, and to respect that idea. I think it also translates into working relationships, you know, not just, not just in marriage, but like, I have found that my relationship with my husband has been so foundational and so encouraging and defining for how I view my work relationships. Part of that is because Joel is almost nine years older than me. And so I feel like he's taught me a lot just as far as communicating and relational dynamics. But something that I've come to realize in the past year really as well, it's been a very like educational year for me. (laughs) Um, But there are certain dynamics that I have just come to realize like I don't work well with this particular thing. And I think that it's okay to acknowledge what those things are. You know, obviously I have like probation periods and I have moments where I'm, you know, working with someone on a like couple month trial basis. And I want to see like, can this person shift? Can I help community, help them with their, you know, the things that they're struggling with? You know, I don't meet someone. And in the first project, like decide that they're I can't work with them, but it does help me to know that 
One, I don't work well with people who don't communicate. Two, with people who are intimidated by me. Or three, with people who create an eggshell environment. I've had some really difficult working relationships where I'm working with someone who does not use their words, <laughs> who, who yeah. holds in resentments, bitterness, frustrations. And instead of communicating that, which gives me an opportunity to change and shift, you know, they've held it in and then one day will explode. Right. And that's so unhealthy. And you can only encourage someone to open up so much. You can only work so hard to earn someone's trust, but you can't force someone to trust you or to communicate. So, uh, that, that's a, that's a big thing for me. Also this whole idea of like me intimidating people, like, you know, you just said you, you've had friends, too many friends, more friends than you would like who have said that they feel like they're too much. I am too much. I am extra. I am loud. I am, I have so many things that I want to accomplish and I am constantly working on something and I have a very specific vision of what it is that I want to accomplish and what it is that I want it to look like. And I'm working on myself and how I can, you know, be more receptive to feedback, be more receptive to people's ideas. And, you know, that's, that's, will always be a process, a growing process for me. But I'm a lot, I'm a lot to handle, but you know what? There are people in this world who are so strong in their sense of self that they can look at me and love me and not allow my strengths to be the catalyst for their insecurities. And those are the people that I work really, really well with. Um, I mean, my partner in Trala, her name's Jessie Jones. I've been working with her since 2012. And she's one of those women who is just so strong and confident that like my over the topness is no threat to her because she knows who she is. And we accomplish great things together. <laughs> um, and then that whole concept of creating an eggshell environment. Like I, I, I think a lot of that comes from, you know, suspicion or, you know, it's just hard to get anything done when you're constantly feeling like the people that you're working with or partnering with are, you have to walk on eggshells because you're afraid that every little thing that you say is going to trip them up, make them angry, make them upset, cause them to give you silent treatment. Like that's not a productive relationship at all. And again, that comes back to trust. So, you know, these specific things are very, much in the category of work relationships for me. And for those listening, like you might have a couple different categories in your life, you know, certain boundaries that you'll have for working relationships. For me, as far as friendships are concerned, like my friends are across the board. And like, if you are having a hard time communicating with me, I don't even care. I'm going to stay with you and I'm going to stay in it until you have the time and the space and the margin and the strength to open up. If you are having a hard time being suspicious of me or like, you know, you're sensitive, like I will walk on eggshells around you all day because I care about you and mm -hmm. I'm in this for the long haul. And if I'm intimidating to you, like I will calm the heck down <laughs> and I will change who I am to be with you and to love you and support you. But that is so for the incredible friends that I have in my life yeah. and working relationships. I feel like I have a job to do and I feel like it's my responsibility to partner with people who will empower me and allow me to empower them to go towards that goal, if that makes any sense. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. It's funny. It's, it's interesting because 
I love that you know these things about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I love that you've taken the time to discover these things about yourself. It's funny because, you know, as we're talking about being a strong woman, I feel like these things come like sort of the inner strength that allows us to be fully ourselves and mm-hmm. and fully strong women are a couple things. And they're these themes that we've kept circling around. And one of them is knowing who we are. Mm-hmm. I think that when we don't know who we are, we're really swayed by other people or we are easily intimidated or easily hurt, or we change who we are in different circumstances. Like we, we need to know who we are. That's a really important first step. And we need to know that we are loved and worth worth something um, as we are today. Things get ugly and we're not able to really lead when we're looking for affirmation in places where we can't actually find it. I think the other thing, you know, you said that Joel has been a really great place for you to learn these things. Mm. And I think that that's, you know, that's really the reason that I talk about relationships so much is because I think it's impossible for us to show up as our full selves and do the things that we were made to do in the world when we are not surrounded by people who, when, when we don't have healthy relationships, mm. if you don't feel like you can be your full self, or if you don't feel fully safe and fully loved in your marriage mm. or in your friendships or in your relationship with yourself, or if you don't know that God really loves you, it's really hard to show up as your full mm. self. And so I feel like these are all different pockets um, of things that we can invest in, in our own lives that will help us be able to have our feet firmly planted so we can lead the way and cast a vision and bring people along with us and and do the thing that we know we were yeah. put here for. Yeah, I think a huge part of what you're saying that's resonating with me is something, it actually connects to something my sister told me this past weekend. We went to a conference in Miami and something that she's been challenged by is this idea of check your inner circle. Like, who are the people that are in your inner circle and how are they loving you, supporting you, lifting you up in your life? Uh, you know, are they willing to make sacrifices for you? Are they willing to share their faith when you have none? Are they willing to, you know, make fools out of themselves so that they can lift you up or put you in a place that you never thought that you would be? Are they for your healing? Are they for your wholeness? And that's just inner circle, you know, like I think that that's really important to have those, again, those specific boundaries, you know, working relationships, inner circle of friends. You know, for me, if I cut out every person in my life who doesn't trust me, doesn't communicate and is intimidated by me, I would have no friends. (laughs) So I think that, you know, it's important that we keep those people around us who challenge us, who make us want to grow, who make me, you know, you know, calm down, like I said, uh, who make me, you know, more apt to listen and be patient um, and help them communicate. It's really important to have those people in our lives. But when it comes to our inner circle, like the most trusted people that we have in our lives, let's make sure, let's do a little checklist. Let's have a little filter. Let's make sure that we're surrounding ourselves with people who bring out the best in us. Mariah, if there are women listening, I know that there are women listening who Mm. feel like, who don't feel qualified to be a leader. Mm. They're listening to this about leadership and they're thinking, I don't know if I'm strong. I don't know if I'm a leader. Mm. Um, What would you say to them? For anyone who feels like they are not a leader, I would immediately disagree and say you are. (laughs) First and foremost, I feel like women are naturally born with this innate sense of influence. I mean, from Eve, we have always been influential and 
whether that's in our families, in our inner circles, in our communities, in our countries, you know, in our governments, in our law, law enforcement, like whatever department we are in, big or small, we have influence. That is natural to the way that we were created. So the question is not, are you a leader or are you not? It is, do you recognize yourself as a leader or do you not? And I think embracing the fact that you just are is the first step to stepping in faith. <laughs> it's the first part to stepping forward in faith and, and embracing that strength that you have within you, that natural ability you have within you. You know, someone I have really loved reading about, she's a social worker who basically started the American Red Cross. Um, She wrote an article actually called The Utilization of Women in City Government, and she has always been an advocate for women in influential positions. But when you look at the way that she started, it was literally by just taking care of the wounded She just went, she saw the need, she went to the need, and she employed other people to help taking care of the need. A lot of people would look at that and not call that leadership, but look at what she ended up doing, you know? (laughs) Um, We honor her still to this day. Another woman who, in my mind, is like the modern... Jane Adams is a woman named Dory Donaldson. She uh, runs an organization called Convoy of Hope Women. And she specifically goes out into these other countries and creates programs to help empower women by giving them education, by doing job training, by starting businesses, by speaking to young women about their ability, their gifting, and encouraging them to break the status quo and not get pregnant at 13 and wait and go to school. And she's just doing incredible work. And I had been following this program for years on Twitter. I've just been obsessed with this organization and all that they've accomplished. And when it finally came time for me to meet the woman who was running it all, my mental picture of her was like, oh, like CEO in a suit, like lead lady in her like super slick hair. And she's probably super tall and carries a briefcase and like is super commanding. Like I just had this mental picture of what the CEO and leader of this organization would be. And I met her And she's this tiny little woman with glasses who has the sweetest little voice. And she used to be a music teacher at a school and she has all daughters and just has this incredible heart and laughs at herself. And it's just like, I don't know what I'm doing, but you know, I'm just like, oh my goodness. Like we need to shift our mentality of what a leader looks like. We have to do that because if we don't, we're going to miss out on all the incredible things that we could do just because we thought, oh, I can't, I can't do that. I'm not like her. Like, come on, come on people. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. So kind of on the flip side, you know, I know that there are women who feel like they were created to be leaders, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. but who have been keeping themselves small because they're afraid of being too much or they're afraid of what other people will think. So, mm-hmm. what would well, you say to her? I would say that that is that is more the person that I can probably relate to. So I feel like in a lot of ways I would be speaking to myself and saying, 
Mariah, like, I know that you have all of these ideas. You have this vision, you have this strength, you have this raw, raw mentality, and you, you want to inspire and encourage people. You want to create change. And I think that there are a lot of people like that as well, who feel like they know that there is this power within them that they're just waiting to point and shoot and they're waiting for their moment. And what I would say to that person is to develop in the dark. God will not expose to the light what has not been developed in the dark. You have to go through the season of obscurity. Do your work and serve your community and serve whatever people group you've been called to serve. Go meet the need without posting a picture on Instagram, without taking video, without showcasing to the world that you are this incredible person who can do all of these incredible things. Like do it in obscurity and develop faithfulness because that faithfulness will carry you through whatever season and stage of life that you're in. I would also say that God will not multiply, but what God will not multiply what you fail to maximize. So whatever opportunity that you have, big or small, take that opportunity. If it's a podcast, do your podcasts faithfully. If it's a music career, write your songs every week. If it's, you know, medicine, study hard for your tests. If it's working at a cafeteria, like serve people with a smile and give joy. Like it's in any opportunity that we have, maximize it to its fullest. And then I think with that faithfulness, you'll see great things come. I love that. Maria, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. (laughs) You guys, isn't Mariah amazing? I love her and I loved this conversation and I am so happy I got to share it with you. One thing I wanted to mention quickly is that I know we talked about a lot in today's episode. And so if you ever want to find the links to any of those things, all you have to do is go to my website. It's stephaniemaywilson.com slash blog, and we'll have all the links there, including all the links for Mariah so that you can follow her and so y'all can be friends. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode, but we have one more amazing episode coming your way this season. And with that in mind, now is the perfect time to make sure you're subscribed. Subscribing to the show is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It won't send you an email or anything. It'll just make sure your phone downloads the latest episode when a new one's released. All right, friends, thank you so much for joining me for Girls Night, and I will see you next week.